Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, good morning, church. It has been an incredible, incredible morning. Baptisms all morning long. People's lives being changed all morning long. And I am praying that this service is even better than those. Um, one thing, we've got to mention this before we jump into the message. Last week, Eli uh, brought the message last week, our high school pastor. And I, I want to give credit where credit was due. Knocked it out of the park last week. Um, incredible. Incredible, came in as the closer, right? That's a hard role sometimes. Close the series out on our big truths in the little books uh, in that series. And listen, you might not know this, but just as a word of encouragement to you, if God can do that with Eli, he can do it with anybody, all right? He can do it with anybody. Some of you remember, I don't know, I think he's in here. Some of you remember Eli in middle school, right? Amen. Uh, it was a moment uh, for, whew, it was a moment for us. Um, look, I know a lot happens in this place and there's a whole lot in the worship guide there's a whole lot in the what's happening in this church but there's one thing that happens every now and then that kind of flies under the radar a little bit and that is a thing that we do here called discover burn hickory um, and Discover Burn Hickory is, is basically a Burn Hickory 101. Uh, you know, back in the day when you joined a church, you knew everything about the church. You knew, the, you knew all the people there. You know everything about it. And, and, and you could make your decision to join that church, to be a part of that church, because you knew it. I mean, you may have moved into town, but you knew it. It's a little bit harder than that here. I mean, we've got five services, that whatever, thousands of people around. And, it, and we do a thing that we want you to be able to come in, ask your questions, learn about the church, figure out what's going on, and then make your step of commitment to be a part of this place after hearing who we really are. Well, today, one of those happened in the last hour with over 25-ish, maybe a few more people in there that are moving in that next step to making this their church home. Well, last month, we had one that there were over 35 people at that were really looking at what it looks like to make this their church home. And if you put those two together, I just want you to feel this for a minute. Over the last two months, that's 60 people who have moved from the casual dating, right? And just dating us to being able to say, this is home for me. This is where I want to be. This is where I belong. And look, that doesn't jazz you up a lot, all right? I get that. You're like, okay, great, Matt. But for those of us that do this, that's a big deal. Can I tell you why it's a big deal? Because we're in a pandemic. That's why it's a big deal. On top of that, catch this, over 180 people over this last year have joined this church. And once again, that may not be a big deal to you, but do you remember the last 18 months at all? It has been a little bat crazy, hasn't it? It really has. But over 180 of you over those last months have said, this is my home. Well, look, if that doesn't excite you, because look, the A15 crowd got a little more excited than y'all did. And that's not saying a lot. If that doesn't excite you, catch this. We have had 115 people in the last year, like annual year, that have walked through those waters of baptism. <laughs> 100, 
100. Now look, I know you're like, Matt, it sounds like you're bragging. You're dang right I'm bragging because it's for Jesus, right? And it's because of Jesus and it's what Jesus has done in this place and for us. And so look, when we put all those things together, what we start realizing is that every now and then we need to pull back and we need to look at some ideas of who we are. And what is it that makes us up and some foundations of what is this place that we call a church and who are we? We need to look at some of the major callings of me as a person of Jesus and you as people of Jesus and a church that's being called to do something. We need to pull back and, I, and look at this idea of who has God made us together personally as well as just together and, and who we can be together and then we also need to look at some things that God is going to do on the horizon and begin to pray in faith that God is going to move in this place regardless of a virus and regardless of a crazy culture out there. Man, I've got news for you. God is moving. He's going to continually move and he is going to get the glory from this place. So in these next weeks, here's what we're going to do. In the next five weeks-ish leading up to Christmas, that's hard to say, by the way, these next five weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to go into a series that we have creatively named We Are. All right, that, that's all we got. There's nothing creative about it. I get it. But there's a reason for that. Because we want to look at who we are. We want to look at who God has made us. We want to look at some of the ins and outs of this thing that we call the faith. Now, when we started looking at this, or I started looking at this series, God began to put some things in my mind to just begin praying. And I want to put these on the table before we jump into the content, because I think it's important to know that God is going to do some things. Here's some things that I've been praying. Number one, and I want you to join me in praying this. It's not in your notes, by the way, for your type A'ers. You're like, oh no, where is it? It's not there. Um, number one, God has, God has really been just pressing into my life to pray that, that many of you meet Jesus over these next couple of weeks. That you fall radically in love with the King, the Savior of the world, the Lord that wants to bless your life. He's calling us to fall in love with him. He's also really just challenging us to pray that many of you fall back in love with Jesus. Maybe it's been a rough patch for you over these last 20 months or so. But secondly, God has been really pressing into my heart to just pray that, that many of you would, would just quit seeing the church as, some, as, as another extracurricular activity. That you would see it as the bride of Christ. That you would see it as something that God has placed in this world to bless his name. And actually is what Jesus died for. It's what is going to be the foundation of what spurs our faith on him. Third, I'm praying that, that many of you would just deepen your desire to be a disciple-making disciple. To be a person that not only just walks with Jesus on the weekend, but begins to follow that through and what it looks like in my daily devotion with Christ, my daily time with Jesus, and allow that to begin to be pressed into my everyday soul. And then fourth, I'm praying that many of you would just find a place to begin to serve as a Great Commission believer. 
to begin to see that God didn't just save us to leave us, but he saved us as his hands and as his feet. And now he wants us to walk that out in our life. So listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, would you join me over these next five weeks and just praying these things over your life, over this church's life. And I just want to see where God is going to take us because I know if we will look at these things, if we will pray these things and we'll ask God to move in these things in our life, that he'll bless it. He really, really will bless it. So as I prayed through these things, there, there was one of them on this list that was kind of an obvious starting place for this series. Because all of these is going to be the script. That's got, just to let you know, that's going to be the script these next weeks. Uh, there was one place in these that, that really solidified where we needed to start. And it was an easy place. And it's really and truly this morning's content is going to just answer one question. And it's the question of who am I? It's the question of who am I? Or, or maybe let me put it like this. What is my identity in Jesus? Now, to be fair, let me say this. This morning, I am primarily speaking this morning to those of you who know Jesus, to those of you who have surrendered your life to Jesus, who have allowed him to wash your sins and have now entered into a relationship with you. That's who I'm speaking to you this morning because I want you to feel this morning who you are are because I don't think there's any way for us to look outward before we look inward. It's that, that's the thing that gets us in trouble as Christians, is it not? When all we do is focus outward before we focus inward. So this morning, as we look at who we are in Jesus, I'm hoping today is it's not a rebuke. It's not even a challenge. Today, when you walk from this place, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to find some satisfaction. I want you to find some righteous pride. And I want you to find a way that I truly believe, if you can grasp what Peter is about to tell us today, I think it can radically not only change your life, but can have some generational change in your family. So if you got a copy of scripture today, I want you to go with me to the book of 1 Peter. To the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to be in the second chapter of 1 Peter today. But as you're finding that, I want to talk for a minute. So for those of you, when you find it, just, just put it on hold. We're going to get there eventually, I promise. 1 Peter chapter 2. But as you're finding it, I want to talk about this issue of identity for a minute. Because here's what we know, all right? Let's find some common ground. Here's what we know about identity. On one side of identity, on one side, identity is really easy, right? It's really easy. L let, me, let me say it like this. On one side, when I think about who I am, it's really easy. I am Matthew Blake Petty, at least when I'm in trouble. I am Matthew Petty. I am Matt Petty. It's been that way since August the 10th, 1977, when either my mother or father wrote it on a piece of paper and it entered into the system. That name has been in government form since that time in various offices for various reasons. It has existed as Matthew Petty. I am that. That is an easy one for me. I am the husband of Melissa, the happy husband of Melissa. 90% of the time she loves me and the 10% I deserve it. All right. That's just where it is. I'm the husband. That is an easy one. I am the father of Blake and Dalton. We get along most of the time. All right. We're harmonious most of the time. That's just who we are. Those are easy. Okay. Those are easy. But on the other side of identity, it's hard. And this is the hard part of identity. 
The other side of identity is those things that happen inside of us when things get quiet. The other side of identity are those things that happen when things get into turmoil. Maybe for you, it's when you lay your head down on your pillow, or maybe for you, it's when you feel like someone has stabbed you in the back, or you feel like you've been rejected, or you feel like you have been wronged, or you feel like you have been in wrong. What happens in us is the other side of identity is when we have this deep moment of this question of who am I? Who am I? That's much harder than looking on my driver's license, is it not? That's the tension of identity. That's the struggle of identity. And, and let me just kind of give you a sample of what some of this can mean. It, it's this, you know, God has created us to have an identity, right? There's nobody that is like you. There's not another person out there that is you. There's not another one out there. You are your own unique person. But on the other side, God has created us or it is right or it is normal for us to identify with or to be in relationship with other people. God has done that in our lives. And God wants us to feel connected. He wants us to feel part of something. He wants us to be inside of a community and to have this sense of belonging. And we show this in our everyday lives, right? We show this in the fact that we are connected to our family. We're connected to our church family. We're connected to our nationality or our vocation. Well, let, let me make it even clearer. If I was today to say the words, go Braves, I thought that was going to be bigger, but it wasn't. Uh, a lot of us would feel, uh, a lot of us would feel like, ah, yeah, you know what? Go Braves. Let's do this. We won last night. Or, or maybe if I was to say, go Falcon. No, don't, don't, that's not a great one right there. Uh, if I was to say, no, let's not use that one. Or maybe if I was to say, roll, nope, not going there either today, right? Uh, just lost a third of the church on that one. Um, if I was to say, roll tide, <laughs> sorry. Uh, or how about go dogs? Uh, or go Jack. Jackets, uh, there's another one. Um, so here, you, you feel that, right? That's part, of, that's part of who we are. Sorry, Alabama fans, I'm still apologizing. Uh, you see, the struggle that we have is that God has created us as an individual identity. God has created us to be in relationship with other things. But the struggle that we have or the struggle that we fall into, sometimes knowingly, sometimes not, some Alabama fans just left, sometimes uh, not knowing, is that, is that we put these, these temporary identities or these physical identities before what I'm gonna call the primary identity. Does that make sense? You see, and, and here's, the, here's the case that I wanna make today. Yes, we are called to be in relationship. We're called to enjoy. We're called to be a part of things. But that's not primary. That's secondary. Primarily, we have a spiritual identity that God has created us for. He has made us perfectly in, and he wants us to enjoy and live out. But here is the problem. We've got our order mixed up. We've got our order mixed up. And we find so much satisfaction, we find so much of our identity inside of these temporal things that aren't gonna last, that many of us have no room to allow God to step in and spiritually satisfy our soul and tell us who we are. This is what's got us so messed up. And it's been happening ever since Genesis chapter three. 
It's been happening ever since the beginning of time, right? What is Satan's first thing that he did with Eve? He began to make them question who they were and whose they were. And we've been off ever since. There's been a struggle or there's been a, let me just call it what it is, an identity crisis that has caused us to identify with so many secondary things before we identify with the primary thing, Jesus, that should, listen closely, set our identity in the other things. You see, when you choose to identify with earthly things before you bring Christ into the relationship, the order never matches. In other words, you don't have a right to say, here is how I feel, God, and I'm inviting you into this conversation. You have a right to say, I am yours, Lord. How should I feel? And I know that's heavy, but let me give you the principle that goes behind it to kind of bring it out of the ethereal, put it into the concrete. For those of us that, like me that are concrete thinkers, here's the principle I want you to write down. There is a fight that is happening for your identity. There's a fight you may have never heard anybody say this before out loud, but there is a fight and you know it because you feel it. It's easy in the cartoons, isn't it? To see when this is happening, there's a good angel on one side, there's a bad angel on the other and they're saying go this way and go this way and go this way, it's easy. But in real life, it's a battle of culture pulling us, self-satisfaction pulling us, my heart telling me where to go, in the moment thinking versus biblical God honoring eternal reward, living out who I am in Christ. This battle, listen to me, it is not a new battle. It's been going on since the beginning of time. It's just kind of nuanced a little bit. It just barely changes forms a little bit. It's a battle for your soul and your identity. But there's a simple solution to this battle. It's just get the order right. Just get the equation right, right? It's just to get it right. In fact, I just want you to know this morning, when we begin to realize, and here's the encouragement behind the morning, when we begin to realize who we are in Jesus, it makes the rest of the things that we feel like we're drawn to, or we feel like we push toward, we feel like should satisfy us, we makes us see them as way secondary to the eternal glory, power, encouragement of who Jesus is. That's the point this morning. That's it. In fact, one of the most important revelations that you can ever gain from Scripture is to see from the Word of God and understand in the Word of God who you are in Jesus. I'm speaking to believers right here. It's to see who you are in Jesus. Because, why? Because when we identify with Christ, it is then and only then that it changes the way we think, it changes the way we live, it changes the way we act, it changes the way we speak. We don't do it in the opposite direction. It cannot work. Why? What does it do? That is what causes us to rise above the flaming, art, the flaming darts that Satan throws at us. It's that that causes us to run from the adversary or the temporary offers or the lures of Satan. But the converse is true. Not understanding who we are or not understanding our identity in Jesus, of course we're we're gonna be drawn to this other stuff. Why? Because it looks really, really good. It looks really good. It does. In fact, do you know why Satan wants to tempt you so much? Do you know why he comes at you so much? It's because that's all he can do. 
That's all Satan can do. Do you know that Satan cannot create anything? He is not a creator. All Satan is is a counterfeiter. And I hope this sets some of you free from from being able to see some things more clearly today. Do you know that Satan, all he can do is take what God has created and he can counterfeit it and make it look really, really like it. You say, Matt, I don't get what you're saying. That's Satan's plan. That's what he wants to do. You see, God is the creator. Satan is the counterfeiter. God creates, Satan counterfeits. Have you ever wondered what John 10, 10 means? That's exactly what it means. The thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy. That's all that he can do. But what does Jesus say? I have come that they may have life. In other words, I can give them life. I can create life. I can make life and have it more abundantly. Have you ever wondered, man, why it feels like Satan is always trying to destroy, why Satan is trying to always make culture look really, really close to what God wants for us? This is why. Because he knows that if he can get one degree of separation over time, it takes us in a direction that never meets up with who God is think about it like this God created love Satan counterfeited it with lust God created truth but Satan counterfeited it with lies God created joy but Satan counterfeited it with self-fulfillment at all costs to bring us satisfaction God created worship right but what did Satan do he counterfeited it with false worship of things that do not last Satan wants to mold you he wants to sway you he wants to take you he wants to make things look like that are not of God he wants to make them look like they're God's and I guarantee you Satan does not want you to hear what you're about to hear because when you realize who God is and who you are in him you begin to identify the counterfeits. So let's go to it this morning. First Peter chapter two has the power to encourage us, to change us. It's the apostle Peter speaking to the first century church. He's about to talk them off the ledge. They're in a struggle right now. They're in a power struggle. They're being rebuked. They're being um, literally crucified and persecuted for who they are. And and, And Peter speaks this hope into their life and tells them who they are in Jesus. And listen to me, believers, this is spoken to you. It's the same. It was true then, the same. It's true now. First Peter chapter two. I'm gonna give you four Four things that we are in Christ. Here they go. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. It says, but you. Now stop right there because it's a weird place to start. All right, that is really weird. So you gotta know what's going on. Peter has just talked about people who don't know Jesus, who don't walk in Jesus. He's talking about followers versus non-followers. Everyone, newsflash, is not born a believer in Jesus. You see this in the rest of the book. Keep going. But you are a chosen generation. Now pause there because I want to show you what God's view of you is and it's this. Number one, I need you to feel this. Number one, you are chosen and you are fully accepted by God. I'm talking to believers. You are chosen and you are fully accepted. Now, I need you to feel that a minute because we don't like to talk this mushy-gushy stuff a whole lot, but today we are because I think there needs to be some encouragement in the body. Listen to me real close. Let this just saturate your soul. God chose you. He chose you. God has fully accepted you. What does that mean? That means that you are his. 
You're gods. You are fully gods. You remember in middle school or in elementary, maybe even middle school for you, one of the biggest fears that there was on the playground when you began to play something, when the captain started picking teams was what? Being that last kid, right? That was one of the biggest fears that you had. Boy, boy, that'd be a great day today if that was one of our biggest fears. Amen. Can I tell you something? That is not how it is in the kingdom of God because you are his. You're God's. And remember this, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are already fully God's. That means this, you no longer work for the acceptance of God. Some of you have been trapped in this holy, like pharisaical righteousness your whole life where you feel like you are working to gain acceptance to know God. God accepted you and you cannot work for his acceptance. All you can do is work out of the acceptance. That's all you can do. I want you to see something. Look at these two phrases that Peter uses. The first one we just looked at, right? Verse nine, but you are a chosen generation or a chosen people. Fast forward all the way down to verse 10. Watch this. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does this mean? This means that God chose you Not only did he just choose you and accept you, but catch this, when you were at your farthest from him. Have you thought about this? The moment that God chose you, he chose you when you had nothing to offer him. Why? Because you were a sinner. You had nothing to offer God. You were at the farthest point from him. You were eternally separated from the king. And what did God do? He opened his love, he opened his acceptance, and he gifted it to you. We see this all through the Bible, right? Especially in the first part of Romans, what? Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love in this, that we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We see this in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all is you, that all is me. We see it in 6, 23 in Romans, but the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is life. What are we seeing there? What has Jesus done for us? He has accepted us us. I am totally acceptable in the eyes of God through Jesus. Do you know that when God sees you, he doesn't see your brokenness. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see who you used to be. Do you know what God sees you as? He sees you through the lens of what Jesus has done. He sees you through that. So what do we do with this? Number one, I mean, I just hope you believe it. I hope you believe this. Why? Because Satan does not want you to believe this. He wants you to always feel halfway in and halfway out. Second, I just want you to cherish it. Because here's the deal. Do you realize there is nothing else on this planet that can offer you eternal, eternal acceptance? Not even your mama. Number three, I just think it's a great reason for us to live it. It's a great reason, what? That we live out of the acceptance that he has already given us. Well, Matt, if we're fully accepted, isn't that just gonna make us go sin? You're missing the point. The point is, when you realize that he has fully accepted you, the things of this earth begin to grow strangely dim. That's the difference. You are fully accepted, but watch, Peter keeps going. Number two, you're eternally valuable. You're eternally valuable. You are valuable. When is the last time? I mean, I'm just being straight honest here. When's the last time somebody looked at you in the face and said, you have eternal value? 
you have eternal life. I can guarantee you that culture doesn't tell you that. I can guarantee you that this world doesn't tell you that. I can guarantee you the things that this world is offering you is not gonna give you this. It is the direct opposite of what you hear. Why? Because what does the world say? The world says, hey, if you will bend to us, if you will do what we need you to do, if you will be what we want you to be, if you will watch our cord fall beliefs, and if you will walk in them, then you can be accepted. But what did God say to us? God said, hey, before you have ever done anything, what did God do? He fully gave us value. He gave you value. Look back at the text. I'm not making it up. There's no, no crazy, rhymy stuff in here. I'm just walking through the verses. Watch this. So Peter hits us with these three encouragements of who we are, of how we're accepted, how we're valuable. Watch this. Verse nine. But you are chosen people. Look at that one. Now watch these next three. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. And do you see that? I'm just not sure you've heard that this week from anywhere. I'm not sure anybody has looked at you this week and been that clear. Let me walk through and there's three distinctions that he gives us here. Number one, we're part of the royal priesthood. We're part of the royal priesthood. Slap the collar on. When you receive Christ, when he is your king, you are part of the royal priesthood. Now, royal priesthood is a compound word. We don't have a whole lot of time, but this is important. It puts the royal and the priesthood together. Do you know that before Christ walked on this earth, either you were a royal or you were a priest. A king couldn't be a priest. A priest couldn't be a king. It didn't work out that way. But now, since Christ has made us, we are not only fit for the king, but we are made for the king. We are fit and made. It's the only time in the New Testament that this verse is, or this word is used. Here's what it means to us. It means that we are part of the royal family of God. Have you thought about that? I mean, would you wake up in the morning thinking, hey God, today I'm part of your royal family. I am accepted by you. I am in you. But not only you're part of his royal family, you are a priest. You're a priest. What does that mean? You have full access to God through Jesus. That means you don't need another person to spill your stuff to, to go to God for you. You have access through Jesus of who God is. You are part of the royal priesthood, but number two, you're holy and set apart. You're holy and set apart. Not from a prideful sense of, well, look at me, I'm above you. No, from a sense that in purity, God has made you pure. He has made you whole. He has taken who you were and transformed you in Christ into something else. You know the difference between an Old Testament believer and a New Testament believer? In the Old Testament, when you brought your sacrifice to the altar, your sacrifice, your blood offering only covered that sin. It was temporary. In the New Testament, your sacrifice through Jesus has been washed. Your sin has been washed. There's a difference of a temporary covering and an eternal washing. That's the point here. You have been made right in front of the king. In fact, listen to what Wayne Grudem says. He says it like this. The idea inherent in hagios, that's holy in, in Greek, by the way is taking something filthy, washing it and setting it apart as something brand new, useful for a different purpose, which is a picture of salvation. 
For we who were filthy in sin, watch this, were washed in the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, and now we are set apart to be God's own possession. We're set apart. What has God done for us? He has set us apart. He's made us holy. Look at this, number three. We are God's special possession. We're his special possession. You are not just any possession of God. You are the special possession of God. Man, I don't know if you've heard this lately, but you are the magnum opus of God's creation. What does that mean? You are the apple in God's eye. That's what that means. And you are valuable to him. You are his. Through you? No, not through you. Let's not get prideful. But through what Christ has done in you. It's 1 Corinthians 7, 23, right? For you have been bought with a price. And you've been paid for by Christ. So you belong to him. But watch this. We usually stop right there. Be free now from all these earthly prides and fears. Why? Because we're his. We're eternally his. All of this is to say that you are extremely and eternally valuable. Don't stop there though. Because we get to number three. Catch this one. Let's keep moving. Number three. I'm totally forgiven. I'm totally forgiven. 100%. You know, one of the things that I see destroy believers the most is the struggle to believe that God can and does fully redeem and forgive my past. And can I tell you, this is a massive tool of Satan. Why? Because Christ, we alluded to it earlier, at the moment of your salvation, forgave you for your past for your present and for your future. At the moment, what does that mean for us? That means when we sin, that sin through Christ has already been forgiven. Well, Matt, then why do we pray for forgiveness? Great question. I love it when you ask those. Here's why. When we pray for God to forgive us of our sins, we are praying and acknowledge that that sin has been forgiven, but it is that repentance that brings us back into the power and into the physical presence of what God wants to do in us. That's why we pray it. It's a recognition of God. I know I just did this and God, I'm recognizing this and God, now I need you to bring me back into your power. Listen, this is something that we've got to continually get a grasp on that when you sin you are not thrown out of the family of God you're fully forgiven already look at the text verse 9 but you are a chosen people royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession watch this that all right that you can write the word so or in light of this that you may declare the praises of him watch what Jesus does right here who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light that's an eternal calling, but keep going. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not re received mercy, but watch this. Now you, this is you. You have received mercy. And I got news for you. The salvific mercy of God is not a fickle mercy. It's not one that's here one day and not the other. It is an eternal mercy that at the point you give your life to Christ, you are forgiven. God's mercy doesn't rest on you. It rests on the empty tomb. It doesn't rest on your power. It rests on what Christ has done. God's mercy is eternal. So therefore, Romans 8, 1, right? There should be no condemnation in those who belong to Jesus. There can't be. 
Why? Because when I sin, it's already been covered and my job is just now to go, hey, God, I blew it, but I know who you are and let's turn. You see, when we realize this, and we realize that, that, man, it is God's nature to forgive and it's God's promise that he is forgiving. Our role is just to walk in this, just to walk in it. So when you put these first three together, look at this number four. Number four, here's who you are in Christ. You're fully capable. You're fully capable. One of the biggest struggles that many believers face is, is they doubt they have anything to contribute why? Because they bought into the lie that they're either not good enough on this side or they disqualified themselves on this side. Read it again. But you're a chosen people. Keep going back to verse 9. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, got special possession. Watch this. That you may declare the praises. What does this mean? This means that declaring the praises is not before what God has already made you and the order matters. When you're his, he has made you capable. How do we know that we're capable? We're capable through the presence and the power of Jesus. We're not capable because I got anything to offer or you got anything to offer. We're capable because God has transformed us. So when we begin to doubt ourselves, catch this, we begin to doubt Jesus. As a believer in Christ, when I begin to say, I have nothing to offer, what I'm doing in him is saying, you have nothing to offer and your sovereignty does not matter to me and your power does not matter to me. This is why Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's why Romans 3.31 says, for God, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's why Romans 8.37 says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's why Matthew chapter 19 verse 26 says, but with man, these things are impossible. But with God, all these things are impossible, are possible. Why? Because of me? No, we'd all be in trouble if it was because of the me's. It's because of him, because of who he is, because of what he's done. Let me put all these in a sentence. We probably could have done this and saved ourselves 40 minutes. You're chosen. You're valuable, you're forgiven, and you're capable because of what Christ has done. What he's done. All because of Christ. Let me close with this illustration. How many of you remember um, the old TBS show, The Antiques Roadshow? Great, three of you. Ask your grandparents. Um, <laughs> how about uh, Pawn Stars? Uh, all right, and uh, yeah, we'll go with that one. Um, same thing. Um, I love that show. Here's why. You never know what they got. You never know. I mean, they will come up with the biggest piece of looking junk that you've ever seen on the planet and give it to them and it's like, yeah, that's $5 million. And then they'll come up with something that looks like it is the most pristine thing ever. And it's just a fake knockoff from China and it's worth like three bucks. Do you know what determines worth on both of those shows? Number one, who made it? Who made it, right? It's either did, I don't know, uh, Tiffany's make it or did the little factory in China make it? I don't know, whichever, right? You get it, right? Or number two, it's who owned it? 
who owned it gives it its worth, right? It's the difference between a letter written by my great, great, great grandpappy and George Washington, right? Who owned it? I want you to think about something today. That's the same thing for us, is it not? Do you know what determines our worth? It ain't how big we are, how small we are, how young we are, how old we are, what we have to offer. It's who made us and who owns us. If we can settle those two things, the rest of the stuff thrown at us really doesn't make a difference. It really doesn't. Why? Because if we can realize that we are chosen, that we are valuable, that we are forgiven, and we are able in Christ, when all of this counterfeit stuff comes at us and tries to make us feel like that we have an identity somewhere else, none of it comes even close. So here's the question I got for you this morning. Have you ever walked into this relationship? Has there been a moment in your life where you've invited Christ into your life to give you this? Or maybe you are a believer in Jesus, but it's been a minute since you have heard what he has done for you. So as we have just a couple of minutes of just thinking and worship, two things. Number one, if you're a believer in Christ, maybe you just need to let this soak for a minute and just saturate your soul to make you run from the things that should be growing strangely dim. But maybe today you need to run to Christ to let him do this. Lord Jesus, today, God, I'm fully aware that there are people in the sound of my voice that are not sure if they have ever trusted you, if they've ever given their life to you. Lord Jesus, if today is their day, if there's something knocking on their heart, just pressing into them, saying, here I am today, God, maybe they're Maybe their voice today just needs to say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died for me. Would you come into my heart and save me? You know, with your head bowed and eyes closed today, if that's you and you just prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe for the first time for real, you're now a follower of Jesus. He just stepped into your heart because he promises us. When we call on his name, he is present. He is there. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Maybe you did that today. If that's you, and we'd like to know that. If you're online, you can reach out online. Just hit the next steps and just let us know. Walk through that grid. It'll show you if you're here in one of the rooms today. And just during this next few seconds, we're not going to wait but a minute. Why don't you walk down to the front and just look me or one of the other counselors in the face and just say, hey, I met Jesus today. I met Jesus. For the rest of us, um, maybe today is the day that you finally figured out that this other stuff is not primary and you can begin to press into the idea that you're accepted and chosen valuable 
forgiven and able. Thank you, Jesus. Walk with us in the next couple of minutes. In your name, let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.